Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from the beginning to the present. And today we want to welcome back as our very special guest, Lindsay Randall. Lindsay, thank you for coming back and continuing to share with us the siege of Vicksburg. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a privilege to have you. And again, in case listeners did not hear Lindsay's first program, she was uh, talking about the siege of Vicksburg and leading up to it. But before, Lindsay, we cut you loose, would you again share with our listeners your educational background, please? Sure. Um, I have degrees in history, bachelor's degree in history, and a master's degree in teaching secondary social studies from the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. And I am about to start my 17th year teaching history at the high school. And I think, Lindsay, I've known you now for five or six years with a different program through the Freedoms Foundation. I believe it's, it's that long. I think so. I think so. It might feel like 20 years when we're sitting on a bus together, but that's, we'll get into that another time. Lindsay's been talking about the siege of Vicksburg and leading up to it and getting into the early stages of the siege. So, Lindsay, if you would pick up where you left off with, I believe it was General Van Dorn and what supplies he destroyed. Absolutely. And yeah, I want to make just kind of a a comment here about Van Dorn. As if anybody listened to our previous show on the Battle of Pea Ridge, you recognize that Michael Van Dorn was ineffective in command of large armies, but he excelled in hit and run cavalry strategy. That was really what his military genius was. And this raid really did a lot of damage to Grant's plans. As this raid is taking place, General Sherman is heading with a group of his troops down into Mississippi, and they're going to, on December 26, 1862, face a rebel force at a place called Chickasaw Bayou. And because Grant has had this kind of mishap, I guess you could call it, with his supplies all being taken at Holly Springs, there's not the support for Sherman that there needed to be. And a much smaller Confederate force is going to best a large Union army. The battle kind of rages from the 26th of December to the 29th of December, and the Federals are going to be pushing through the swamps, which are going to be surprised by some really strongly defended defensive works there. Several futile attempts uh, Sherman makes to get around these defenses, but ultimately it's unsuccessful and they're repulsed with heavy casualties as Sherman withdraws. This Confederate victory really frustrates Grant's attempts to take Vicksburg by direct approach. So he's going to have to come up with kind of a new idea. In the winter and spring of 1863, Grant tries a variety of land and water routes while facing growing public outcries to replace him. But he grows bolder and bolder, embarking on the largest amphibious campaign really in U.S. history up to that point. He is going to try another canal. (laughs) He's going to try and dig another canal which is flooded out due to a levee break. And that's going to lead us into March 1863 with the Steeles Bayou Expedition. It's a combined Union force directed by Grant and uh, the Navy Rear Admiral Porter. They're going to attempt to reach the rear of Vicksburg. It's going to last a couple of weeks. Their aim is to move Union forces from the Mississippi River to a point on the Yazoo River, which is upstream of Pemberton's defenses of Vicksburg. And to avoid enemy artillery on the bluffs, 
expedition is going to leave the Yazoo River and go kind of indirectly on a route through a series of waterways in the floodplains east of the Mississippi. And it's not going to be successful. Traversing Steel's Bayou itself was not particularly difficult, but the second leg along the Deer Creek route was impossible. Waterway was too narrow. There were a lot of frequent turns, forcing the vessels to move extremely slowly. The rebels were cutting down trees across the stream, and the Union forces would have to get out and try to saw those apart. And so they only got about a mile and a half into this Deer Creek area, and they were cut off. They came to a complete standstill. But this vessel's trapped, Porter sends an urgent message to the Army that we need help. We're we're stuck here. Rebels were, Confederate patrols were firing at them. They began cutting trees in behind them to kind of create a complete blockade. Luckily for Porter, Sherman does have a forced march of his troops through the swamps, and they were able to kind of run off some of these Confederate troops, the patrols blocking their retreat, and Porter and his vessels were able to move back into Steele's Bayou and finally back into the Mississippi River, having accomplished nothing. Uh, The Steele's Bayou expedition was Grant's last Hmm. attempt to attack Emerson's right flank. And, Lindsay, why, you know, as Grant is making his approach towards Vicksburg. Mm-hmm. Why does Pemberton decide to keep his troops in Vicksburg rather than just vacating the city so, and, and, uh, and, and saving his army? Absolutely. That's a great question. Uh, Pemberton is told in no uncertain terms by Jefferson Davis, by President Jefferson Davis, that he is to, under no circumstances, let go of Vicksburg because Vicksburg is considered kind of the nail that holds two halves of the Confederacy together. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called the key to winning the war. It's called the lungs of the Confederacy. Uh, Vicksburg is seen as an unlosable position if the Confederacy is Mm -hmm. going to have any chance of winning this war. And so he's told, no, you cannot leave. Unfortunately for Pemberton, he doesn't, you know, he, He doesn't really get the support he needs. He's supposed to be reinforced by Joe Johnston, who gets stuck in Jackson, Mississippi. We're going to talk about that in a minute. There's even kind of, um, you know, we don't like to play a lot of what ifs, but over in the East, Longstreet recommended that Lee send reinforcements to Johnston to support Vicksburg to aid Pemberton. And Lee refused. And Hmm. and some historians have said, you know, if Lee had done that, then Gettysburg might not have happened and Mm -hmm. Vicksburg might not have fallen when it did. So it's just he has been told, do not give this up. And so he tries to hold it. He's just not probably the best leader to do that. In fact, when he is named the leader, the man in charge of Vicksburg, a lot of people are kind of confused by it because he doesn't really have a lot of combat experience Mm -hmm. or or leadership experience. So who knows why he was named? I don't. Do you know why he was named? Do you know why? I I have no idea either at this point. Maybe because, and I'm just throwing this out there because they thought it was the Gibraltar of the Mississippi. It could never be taken. I, I, you know, that's just the thought. Yeah. Totally possible. Possible. Um, Into the spring of 1863, this is when things really, really, really heat up. In April 1863, Union Navy boats are going to bypass the guns of Vicksburg through nighttime voyages starting at 9.15 p.m. They're going to try and quietly sneak past. Um, And they kind of get close to Vicksburg and patrols on the banks sound the alarm and they ignite turpentine-soaked cotton bales on the banks and they begin firing very heavily at Porter's ships as they float past 
a fleet does successfully make its way past all these batteries. They lose only one transport head downriver. This is where they're supposed to rendezvous with Grant. So Grant had marched his troops down the Louisiana shore south of Vicksburg. I remember they had given up hope of hitting that right flank of mm-hmm. where now they're going to go for the left. So they have marched south on the Louisiana side, which again, in the spring, marching south Louisiana, it's flooded, it's nasty, there's a lot of mosquitoes. It is not a pleasant trip for his troops. And now um, Porter's ships have been able to sail past Vicksburg. And Grant is going to keep Pemberton guessing where he strikes. At the same time that he's got these Union Navy boats moving south, he's going to release a cavalry raid on Mississippi led by Colonel Benjamin Grierson, which interestingly enough, he actually hated horses. So he's a cavalry leader, but he hates horses Hmm. as he was kicked in the head as a child by a horse. He's like a music teacher or something. Uh, he leads 1,700 horse soldiers wow. from Southie down through Mississippi all the way to Baton Rouge. They ride 600 miles in 16 days, tearing up railroads and burning cross ties, freeing slaves, really just causing a lot of fear. They don't lose a lot of men. I think they only had three killed, but they uprooted 50 miles of railroad tracks. Hmm. This totally confused Pemberton about Grant's movement. He diverted cavalry forces to kind of hit Grierson's cavalry, but what that did is it ties up the Confederate cavalry, they are pulled from somewhere to go after Grierson, right? And the place that they're pulled from Mm -hmm. is river crossings. And it leaves a lot of river crossings unguarded, which is one of those things, you know, I said, Grant's really thinking kind of big picture here. He is using distraction. And this does keep Pemberton distracted. I'm trying to picture, Lindsay, in my mind, a map. So Grant goes south of Vicksburg. He goes Mm -hmm. inland. And he begins Mm -hmm. to move north and he's going to. So Vicksburg is now on the western side of Grant's army. Is that? It's going to be. Okay. So, yes, move south and then he's going to move northeast. So he moves about, I don't know, 60 or so miles south of Vicksburg. And then he's going to move northeast so that he can come in from the rear of Vicksburg. Um, At the same time he does this, he has Sherman faint an attack north of Vicksburg. While the naval fleet begins to shell a town south of Vicksburg called Grand Gulf. And so Pemberton just really doesn't know at this point what's going on. He's got troops in the north of him. He's got troops in the south of him. He's got this cavalry raid out behind him. And it's just a very confusing time for the Confederates. They're not sure what exactly is going on. Is Sherman's reputation well known to the Confederacy at this point? Exactly what type of a warrior he is? You know, I don't know. I know it's growing. Um, I don't know to this point how well known Sherman is. I know, obviously, once we get down into Georgia, he's going to become extremely Mm -hmm. well. Um, I don't really know how big of a name he was at this point, to be honest. I would think that knowing that Sherman is above him to the north would cause Pemberton great concern if Sherman's reputation was well-known at this point by the Confederate troops. Yes, absolutely. I think that Pemberton is concerned mainly about having troops to his north because to the east of Vicksburg is Jackson, Mississippi, which is the capital of Mississippi. And that is where Joe Johnston's forces that are supposed to be kind of supporting Pemberton and reinforcing Pemberton, that's where they are. And so I think there's a big concern of why are they over there? But then he's got people there basically all around, and he's not sure where the big hit's going to come from. Okay. So Grant is going to be coming in now from the east 
to the west. I'm picturing this in my mind. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. well, he's at the south, and then he's going to move east and come in from the west. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so uh, Pemberton, and meanwhile, he's kind of trying to figure out where do I send my forces next, right? The Federal Navy is shelling a place south of Vicksburg called Grand Gulf. They have a couple of batteries there that are just too strong for federal gunboats. This is where Grant wanted to move his troops across the river from Louisiana into the Mississippi land at Grand Gulf, but the batteries are just too strong. So Grant decides to cross a little bit further south in a town called Bruinsburg. And by April 30th, the lead element of Grant's army is finally on the Confederate side of the river. And for the next 17 days, the army is going to march over 200 miles and they're going to fight five battles just in mm. 17 days. It is This is what some historians call the Blitzkrieg of the Vicksburg campaign, mm. right? Mm. A light warfare, this mm-hmm. rapid 17-day movement. Union troops are going to land at Bruinsburg and they're going to march to Port Gibson, Mississippi. And there's a a 17-hour battle there called the Battle of Port Gibson, where outflanked and low on ammunition, the rebels fall back. But just to kind of look at this in a bigger picture, for 17 hours, 20,000 federal troops were held back by only 8,000 rebels. And so that's really fiercely defending this land. And that's kind of a hallmark of what we see in a lot of this campaign is that the Southerners in Vicksburg are going to hold on to territory far longer than they probably should have. And a lot of that is just this Southern sentiment of not giving up. Southern nationalism was extremely high at Vicksburg and in Mississippi in general. And just kind of looking at the numbers in the Confederacy overall, over three quarters of a million men served in the Confederate Army. There's over two million in the Union Army, so that's Mm -hmm. much larger. But in the South, it's over 75 percent of the Confederacy's available draft age white population serves in the Army. Over 75 percent and a third of them died. And so uh, whenever we look at some of the battles, like the Battle of Port Gibson, where you've got 8,000 men holding off 20,000 and suffering these large casualties, that's not uncommon to see. This is also a brutal heat and brutal humidity as they're doing, uh, fighting these battles, correct? Yes, absolutely. Oh, wow. This Battle of Port Gibson secured a Union beachhead east of the Mississippi River and enabled Grant to now begin moving northeast unopposed. This win also rendered those fortifications at Grand Gulf, those batteries that were too strong for the Union, it rendered them indefensible, and those were also abandoned. So that's another bloodless victory there for Grant. Grant's going to next do something kind of interesting. He's going to move away from Vicksburg, right? Pemberton thinks he's coming for Vicksburg next, but he doesn't. He moves away from Vicksburg using the Big Black River as a shield, Grant heads to cut off the rail line that supplies Vicksburg, and that comes through Jackson. This type of bold and indirect strategy is kind of the hallmark of Grant's style for the rest of this campaign, minus the couple of times that he sends people to directly attack the Vicksburg Wall. But by May 12th, they're moving to attack the Southern Railroad. Pemberton is going to rush a brigade by rail to stop them because they need that railroad to stay in mm-hmm. That'll lead to the next battle called the Battle of Raymond, Mississippi, where 3,000 rebels are going to meet 10,000 Federals, outnumbered three to one. Uh, the rebels do attack, and it's a six-hour battle. It's not a sustainable fight. The rebels, like again, they're low on ammunition. They're going to retreat to Jackson. And um, Grant's going to send two-thirds of his army up to Jackson. They're going to cut the rail line. They're going to cut the telegraph line along the way, preventing communication between Pemberton and Johnston. So Johnston doesn't know what's going on. Pemberton doesn't know what's going on. And uh, on May 13th, General Joe Johnston wires Richmond to tell them that he's too late. 
he orders Jackson evacuated. Sherman marches into Jackson and much of the city is burned. Hmm. And this is kind of a, the moment, right? The, the deciding moment. If, if they're now going to be surrounding Vicksburg on all of these sides and Joe Johnston, who is the last hope of Pemberton getting resupplied at this point, says it's too late. They're going to pull out of the way. Pemberton's going to kind of be on his own for the next three weeks here. So um, Grant, Grant's moving up towards Vicksburg. And then mm-hmm. tell us now what happens. You know, it, it's now middle of May of 1863. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. what does Grant decide to do about Vicksburg? Yeah. Yeah, so he decides to close in. He decides to move in. And they're going to move in towards Pemberton. Now, Pemberton amasses 20,000 men. And it digs in. He's he's attempting to protect the city. So there's going to be this line about 20 miles or so east of Vicksburg that Pemberton is going to pull 20,000 men out to. And they're going to dig in for miles along a wooded ridge, 70 feet high. Grant's got almost 30,000 men that are facing now this uphill battle through gullies and ravines. And it's going to be called the Battle of Champion Hill. This battle right here is the pivotal battle of this campaign. It is the bloodiest, and it is what we would probably say is the battle that's destined to seal Vicksburg State, and, and really with it, much of the rest of the Confederacy. Pemberton deploys divisions along like a three-mile front to face what he believes is two advancing federal columns. He's unaware that there's actually a third column moving toward his exposed left flank. Confederate Brigadier General Stephen Lee ships the brigade up to a hill called Champion Hill, which gives us the name of the battle. Mm-hmm. And the battle begins at uh, 10.30 in the morning. By 11.30, the fighting is vicious. It's hand-to-hand. Divisions are savagely driving. Federal divisions are being driven back savagely by rebels. But there's a, a second federal assault, a second wave, where Brigadier General Hovey is going to be pushed in as a second wave, and he's going to be reinforced. And they're going to go ahead and claim the high ground. Uh, more than 2,000 rebels are killed or wounded. Some of these federal brigades lost a third of their men. Mm. So it was really, really tough fighting. At the end of the battle, Grant's forces, these three columns, kind of converge and cut off the rebel escape route. They cut down a bridge and they managed to cut them off. The rebels kind of disperse and some of the divisions get separated. In fact, one 8,000-man division is cut off, Loring's division, and they don't know where the rest of the army is. And so they just go back to Jackson. Pemberton doesn't know that. And so he's waiting for this 8,000-man division at the Big Black River, where he's now surprised by another round of federal attack the next morning. Hmm. Uh, Battle of Champion Hill and the Big Black River together cost Pemberton 25% of the army. And since, Lindy, we have about four minutes left. So if you would take us up to now after Champion Hill and after these series of battles, share with us, please, the siege of Vicksburg. Now that Grant puts the siege on in our last remaining minutes, please. Absolutely. So in less than three weeks, Grant has traversed more than 130 miles. He's won five consecutive battles and Pemberton kind of retreat to Vicksburg. He's going to close off the city and it's a large complex, right? There's like eight miles of walls and fortifications. Sorry, that's the dog. Nine major <laughs> that's got to be Teddy, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that's Teddy Bonesville. I'm sorry. I guess the male hidden is here. Nine major forts connected by rifle pits, artillery, parapets of earth. And Grant is going to try some direct assault, which is not going to be successful. 
interestingly enough, and this is kind of where we'll wrap up today, he's also going to, by mid-June, decide that they're going to mine under the city wall, mm. and they're going to plant 2,200 pounds of black powder to explode a giant crater, hoping to lead to the fall of the city. It is not successful in Vicksburg. We know later on he'll use that exact same method in Petersburg, though. So with the siege of Vicksburg, how long mm-hmm. did it last, Lindsay, and when did Pemberton finally surrender Vicksburg? So the siege is going to last 47 days. Wow. The soldiers and citizens are going to suffer immensely from disease, hunger, death, fear, Rations are down to just a handful of peas and a single cup of water per day. Mm. Pemberton is finally going to surrender the city on the 4th of July, 1863. He believes that the Northerners will have some kind of nostalgia because it's the 4th of July and will give him better terms. But Grant, unconditional surrender Grant, uh, does not and demands the unconditional surrender, which Pemberton refuses at first, but eventually accedes to. And Grant offers terms the soldiers are paroled and go home instead of being prisoners. And with that capture of Vicksburg and subsequent capture of Port Hudson, five days later, the Mississippi River is now entirely in Union hands. And we know that Gettysburg was going on at the same time. And in your opinion, is Vicksburg the turning point, Gettysburg the turning point, or is there more than just one or two turning points of the war? I mean, honestly, and I know that Gettysburg is a really big deal up in the north and to many southerners as well. But I think that Gettysburg really is the bigger deal. In general, the Western theater doesn't kind of fit into that mythology of the lost cause idea of the Confederacy that they were winning until mid-1863. Confederate history is dominated by the popular memory of, in the popular memory, it's all Confederate history. And so they're all looking at, you know, Lee and all of these great things he did. But really, it's, it's Vicksburg and the taking of this connection. Now, the Eastern and Western halves of the Confederacy are severed because mm-hmm. of the sugar all the stuff that the Confederates need can no longer come through Vicksburg. And that's really going to cause a lot of struggles. And then after Vicksburg, Grant is going to be sent eastward, right, into some of the battle Tennessee and eventually into Virginia. So to close our show out, Lindy, what happens to Pemberton after the siege and after he surrendered his army? Well, Pemberton is moved Gosh, first he's captured and he's kind of held prisoner for a couple of months. Then he has no position in the army. Eventually, he's going to ask for another position. And I think he's moved over to South Carolina. It's somewhere over east where he's just not going to be respected. Eventually, the governors of states that he's in charge of protecting write a letter to Jeff Davis asking that he be replaced. And he is. He ends up becoming like a weapons inspector, I mm-hmm. think, but just kind of throughout the rest of the war. He's eventually captured in that and then spends the rest of the war just not really being in any sort of leadership command. Mm. Well, Lindsay, we want to thank you for sharing these two shows about the siege of Vicksburg and General Grant and General Pemberton and giving us a better picture of what happened before the siege and during the siege and why the Confederates had to surrender an army there. So, Lindsay, thank you so much for coming and sharing this with us. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And listeners, Lindsay, I was talking with Lindsay a few days ago, and she promised she's going to come back and do a show for us, at least one show on Nathan Bedford Forrest. So I'm throwing that out there now to solidify that (laughs) for a future show. So, Lindsay, we're going to hold you to that. Yes, sir. I can't wait. Yes, ma'am. You know, yes, she calls me yes, sir, and I call her yes, ma'am. So again, ladies and gentlemen, Lindsay Randall, Lindsay goes back to school next week. South goes back into school much earlier than we do in the North. So we pray for you. God bless you. 
We hope you have a great, great school year this year and everything goes smoothly for you. So thank you again, Lindsay, for doing these programs for us. Thank you. Our pleasure to have you, Lindsay. Thank you. Tell Teddy and your husband and your son hello. And we hope Betty White has a long, long, long career. So (laughs) (laughs) this is 1180 AM WFYL, Working for Your Liberty.